Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Morning, church. Second Corinthians chapter 5. just want to open up with a great truth. Statement from the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Here's what Paul wrote. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Church, would you say new creation? New creation. You see, what this verse does is it paints a picture of a transformed life. Not a picture of a refurbished bondoed over, repainted and airbrushed life. But a picture of a wholesale, radical, categorical transformation. And what this verse says is that Transformation, that radical change is for those who are in Christ. In fact, look at it again very closely. It doesn't say that that kind of a radical transformation is possible to a select few who are in Christ. It says that it is the guarantee, that it is a reality that for everyone in Christ, there is a brand new life. Radical transformation. Again, Paul penned those words. But you know what Paul did before he penned those words? He lived those words. We're going to talk about that today. You see, Paul was the poster child for the Jewish faith. Paul was on the fast track to success for the Jewish nation before his name was Paul, his name was Saul. God changed it. And here is who Saul was. Saul was highly educated, highly dedicated, highly motivated, and highly elevated in his own mind. And then all of that changed. There was a radical transformation in the life of Saul. Before we look at what happened that caused that transformation, let's just 
highlight that transformation in bold relief about how this man changed. First of all, in his desires and his attitudes. Because of this transformation, Saul thought completely differently. Because of the transformation that took place, Saul's greatest hatred became his greatest love. That's radical, wholesale transformation. Because of this transformation, Saul's greatest love, previous to the transformation, he would write later and call it a pile of dung. I mean, exactly in the Greek, that's what he called, what he prized before the transformation. Nothing but a pile of dung. His arrogance became humility. His self-reliance became total dependency. That's the kind of transformation that took place in the life of the man that wrote 2 Corinthians 5.17. What about his actions? How did his actions change? Well, Saul set out from Jerusalem, headed toward Damascus, and he set out to persecute Christ. And when he arrived in Damascus, he began to produce followers of Christ. Radical transformation. Saul set out, commissioned by the Jewish high priest, He arrived in Damascus commissioned by the high king of heaven. Radical transformation. Saul left Jerusalem, headed to Damascus, breathing out murderous threats against all who were followers of Christ. He arrived in Damascus and he began proving that Jesus is the very son of the living God. Radical transformation. You see, the man that wrote 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a man that understood what he was writing about. Because for him, having been placed in Christ, all things had become new. So what happened? What is it that happened to Saul to make him Paul? He was traveling the road to Damascus on a mission with letters of authority from the Jewish religious leaders to do everything that he could to kill and wipe out the influence of Christianity and destroy, imprison those who were followers of Christ. And then something took place on the road in Acts 9. An event that changed every moment of every day for the rest of eternity for Saul. What happened was, in short, 
He met Jesus on the road. And his life was never the same. Here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. We're going to look at the life of Paul. But what we're going to see in the life of Paul, if I could put it in kind of one big idea, it's this, that Jesus is on a mission to transform you for a mission. Jesus Christ is on a mission to transform your life, radical transformation for a mission. Let's read Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. We'll set the stage. This is the text that we're going to walk through this morning. Acts 9, beginning at verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone round him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe that this event is in the top ten events in Scripture, in its significance in its impact, in its world-altering effect. It is so important that God in His Word gave us four accounts of this event. God wanted us to know about it. And I think that there is a very specific reason why. You see, what I believe is encapsulated in this event are the steps that every single person must go through in the salvation experience. It's like what we have here is a template where God shows us what He does when He is bringing someone to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That what is in here. I believe, are timeless truths. It doesn't always look the same, but every one of the steps, every one of the aspects of this encounter that I'm going to bring out, I believe are true in every conversion experience. So I want to challenge you with this. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Again, Paul wrote that. So here's what I'm suggesting this morning. That as we look at this story, 
If what we have here is a picture of how God works in the life of an individual to bring them into eternal salvation, that this is what God always does that we can look in an examining way and say, is this true of me? In some aspect, are these things that come out in this text true of my life? To examine and test myself to see whether I am in the faith, in Jesus Christ. So what was Saul doing? Saul was on his journey. He was on the journey of life. And when he got up that morning in Acts chapter 9, he had no indication that there was going to be an event that took place in his life that was going to alter every moment for the rest of his life. You see, Saul, prior to his encounter with Jesus on that road, he believed he was serving God. Matter of fact, he was very proud of his service to God. All of us are on the journey of life right here this morning. Let me just give you three categories. Some of you came in here possibly like Saul kind of on the fast track to success, very purpose-driven, motivated, goal-oriented, ahead of the peers of your age in the fast track towards success. That was Saul when he got up that morning in Acts chapter 9. Others of you on the journey of life came in here worn and discouraged and beat up and exhausted and limping down the trail of life. Still others came in glancing over your shoulder, stumbling in the present because you were focused on the past and the poor decisions made, the mistakes But what I want to say to you, whether you are on the first, second, or third track, is this. This day right here today can be the day of radical transformation for you because the same God who showed up on that road and transformed Saul to Paul is right here today. And he is right here wanting to transform your life for eternity. Not just to take away some of your aches and airbrush you and put a little bonto on and do some surface, surface level changes. That's not what he's after. He's going to take care of that eventually. What he wants to do right now is he wants a radical, internal, comprehensive transformation. That thing called the new life that is for everyone in Christ. 
Here's the setup to the story. The setup is all about God's shocking love. Listen to verse 1 and 2 again. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's followers of Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You see, what Saul is after here is... He has a hatred for Jesus and everyone associated with Jesus and he is aggressively pursuing the demise, the destruction of what Scripture calls here the way or the group of those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And yet as Saul is pursuing with hatred The destruction of Christ's followers, here is what Christ is doing. He is pursuing the deliverance of Saul. That's shocking love. That is shocking love. He did not show up on the road that day to send down a lightning bolt and char him there on the road and wipe him out. He came in love to transform him. Here's the point. Take a lesson from the life of Saul. Wherever you're at, whatever you've done, it is not outside of the love and the reach and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is here this morning and he wants to save you. He wants to transform you. God's shocking love. That's the setup. And then as the story begins to unfold, we see God's sovereign power. Look at verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. This verse and what's taking place here in the text, it has a play on words around the theme of power. There's an incredible contrast here. You have to look closely to see it. You see, Paul is leaving Jerusalem with authority, authoritative letters from the highest court in the Jewish land, the Sanhedrin, and from the high priest himself. And in the midst of that journey of authority, God shows up and power from heaven comes down. The sovereign power of God arrives on the scene. And Paul gets a commission, not by some letters, but in person by God himself. Folks, here's the point. Wherever you are at, the shocking love and sovereign power of God can meet you right where you're at for transformation. He's been doing it for 2,000 years. He's still in the business today. So what do I want to do now as we 
Look at this encounter that Paul has. I want to draw out for you what I'm going to call four certainties of salvation. Four things in the divine, exclusively divine work of salvation that God does when he saves an individual. We're going to see them spotlighted here in the life of Saul. First of all, Christ grips our attention. Christ grips our attention. Look at verse 3. Now as he, Saul, went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus knocks and sometimes he knocks very loudly. If God is attempting to get your attention because he has a great love for you and longs to save you and you're not paying attention to him, he will turn up the volume until you hear the message. And he has all of the resources in the universe with which to get that done. Right here, he shows up with a light that I believe what the text is saying is it outshines the noonday sun, a light from heaven, and it grabs the attention of this religious, dedicated, determined, self-righteous zealot who thought he was serving God. It grabs his attention on his journey of life. I don't know how God's going to turn up the attention for you if you're not listening. And please, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that all difficult things that come into your life is God doing it. That is not what I'm saying at all. But I am saying that when God comes to you to save you, He first of all has to get your attention so you turn your attention upon Him and what He's saying and what He's doing. That's exactly what took place here with Saul. Saul is on the fast track of what he thought was success, but really he was on the fast track to destruction, and Jesus showed up and put a roadblock in his path, and he knocked him to the ground. He got his attention. You see, it was obvious here Let's just draw an implication here. It was obvious to Saul that what was taking place was divine. Right? He knew that this was not just some earthly event. He knew as we read the story here, he understands that what's taking place is actually the work of God. You see, it's much easier when we listen quickly, but we're pretty stubborn. Our hearts are pretty proud. Times 
God has to turn up the volume. He has to increase the pressure. He has to do something radical to grip our attention so that we'll get our eyes off of what we're doing and where we're going and turn our attention upon Him and what He is doing and what He is saying. And He loves you enough to do that. And the valleys that he digs and throws in your path to get your attention, they may be painful in the moment, but really they are mountains of victory if you'll listen. If you'll respond to what he is doing, they're the work of a God of love. So first of all, Christ grips our attention. Secondly, Christ humbles our heart. Look again at verse, or look at verse 4. What happened when this light from heaven flashed around Saul? It says, and falling to the ground. You see, one minute Saul was larger than life, the next minute he had his face in the dust. On the way to Damascus, Saul was in charge, in control, and indestructible, so he thought, with his letters of authority tucked in his vest. Is it a reality for everyone that gets saved that they need to come to the place of humility? Just ruminate on that for a minute. Is it necessary for every human heart that is saved to come to the stark realization of their own humility? And I'm saying to you, it is absolutely necessary. Absolutely. You see, the very word salvation has an implication in it. It's that you need a Savior. You have to be saved. Why? Because you're lost. Because you're headed to destruction. Because you're hopeless. Because you're not self-reliant. You're absolutely radically dependent upon God if you're going to be saved. You see, salvation has to You have to come to the place of humility in the process or you're never, ever going to get saved. So what Christ does is he grips our attention and then he humbles our heart. I don't know how he did that for you. Remember, examine yourself. Think back through your story if you're a believer. Kind of trace your steps and the events in your life as we go through this. If you're not saved here this morning, what God is telling you is He's telling you what He's doing to bring you to Himself. You see, when Jesus knocks... Humility must open the door. It's the only way. So Christ grips our attention and then he humbles our heart. And then number three, Christ breaks our spirit. 
He breaks us. Acts 9, 4 again. And falling to the ground, Saul heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Ladies and gentlemen, Saul had to be broken to become Paul. He had to be broken. He had to come to grips with his own sin. And that is what is taking place right here in this verse, in verse 4. Saul is coming to grips by divine revelation with his own sin. You see, this was a breaking moment for Saul. Why is that? Because Saul thought he was God's number one servant. He thought that he was the zealous follower of God. And what he finds out in this verse is he is actually the enemy of God. The man that thought that he was agent number one is finding out that he is enemy number one. His heart is being, his spirit is being broken here as he comes to the realization of his own sin. Is brokenness necessary for us? I think it is. I think if we're never broken over our sin, we're never going to understand the cost that our sin required to have it satisfied and atoned for. If we never understand the depth of our sin and its blackness, we're never going to learn to hate sin. So what happens in this process of salvation is that Christ grips our attention then He humbles our heart and then He breaks us. He has to show us that we are desperately in need of a Savior because we are sinful enemies of God. See, this is more than just a theory here. Listen to it again. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus here is not talking to him about the theory of sinfulness, is he? He's saying, Saul, Saul, this is what you are doing. We have to see the reality of our sin so that it breaks us humbles us, gives us a contrite heart, and it's the contrite heart that God will not despise. Scripture says. But here's the beauty of this. Jesus did this with such gentleness. You see, the circumstances were harsh, but the confrontation was gentle. I mean, he got his attention, but then he called him by name and said, Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? Can you hear the pleading love in that statement? Circumstances thundered, but the call was gentle. Christ grips our attention. He humbles our heart. Then he breaks us. He shows us our sin. And then the fourth step has to happen. If you walk through the first three and you stop short of number four, you are not saved. And here's the fourth step. Christ reveals himself. Or we could say it like this, the Spirit of God reveals the Son of God. Verse 9, I mean verse 5 of chapter 9, here's the response. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. What did he do? Jesus died for sin and rose to life. You see, Saul found that out. He knew Jesus had died. And here he is on the road talking to the resurrected Lord. He would called him that, the Lord Jesus Christ. He had to find that out. Jesus had to reveal himself to Saul. And then what will Jesus do? He'll give you life. He'll give you eternal life. You see, you need to find out who Jesus is and what he did and what he'll do for you. Saul found that out. 1 John 5.12 Whoever has the Son is life. Let's pause there for a moment. Whoever has the Son that means Jesus has life. We could say it like this. Everyone who has the Son has life. It's just like Paul had written that first verse that we looked at, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is a new, in Christ, he is a new creation. Second part of the verse in 1 John 5.12 says, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That is a line in the sand of humanity right there. You have the Son. You're on the side of life. You don't have the Son. You don't have Jesus. You are not on the side of life. Why? Jesus is life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You either have Him or you don't have him. Why must you be introduced to him in order to be saved? Because he's the Savior. He's the one that gives the life.
Again, Saul said, Who are you, Lord? In verse 5. You see, Saul had the best of intentions, wholehearted devotion, sincere religion, zealous service, yet here's what he discovered. He discovered that he was on the wrong side of the tracks. Saul discovered that the God that he was trying to serve, he was actually fighting against. Here's what I'm concerned with, ladies and gentlemen. Just speaking to our generation, our culture right here. I think that there is going to be a large number of our culture that's going to discover the same thing on the final day. You see, we live in an age of pluralism. And here's what pluralism says. Pluralism says, just discover the truth that is right for you. You define it. There is no absolute truth. There's a truth for you, but that truth for you is not necessarily the truth for this person over here. So you discover your own. There's nothing absolute. You walk your own path to God. Here's a kind of a a key idea in this age of pluralism here. As long as you are sincere, that's what really matters. If you're really sincere, it's okay. That path will eventually lead to God. I'm going to ask you a question. Was Saul sincere? I think it could be argued that he was one of the most motivated, dedicated, zealous workers for God on the planet. And yet he was the enemy of God. He discovered that he was not who he thought he was, that God was not who he thought he was. There is absolute truth and it is wrapped up into the person of Jesus Christ who is the truth. You see, Paul had the right trappings and the right passion and the right purpose, but he had the wrong promise. Wrong promise. He didn't have the child a promise. And it's what you have to have. So in every salvation in some way, God gets our attention, humbles our heart, shows us our sin, and then introduces Jesus Christ to us as the Lord and the Savior. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Everyone who has the Son has life. Everyone who does not have the Son does not have life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Let me say the negative of that. If you are not in Christ, you are not a new creation. That's the line in the sand. Which side are you on?
This could be an Acts chapter 9 day for you today. You may have woken up thinking you're headed the right way, realizing now that you're not and that Jesus is the only way. He wants to do for you this morning what he did for Paul on that day. He wants to transform you radically, completely, eternally. Would you please stand? I just want to give you an opportunity this morning. It's not about me leading you in a prayer, but it is about you accepting Jesus as your Savior, putting your faith in Him and Him alone. He is the only way. So just to help that process along, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer if you want to accept Christ as your Savior this morning. Father, oh God, Thank you. I know that the story we read this morning is my story. It didn't happen with all the trappings that happened with Saul, but every one of those events were in my story. You had to get my attention, humble me, show me my sin, and introduce your son. Thank you for doing that to me. God, I want to pray for those right here this morning that you're doing that for right now. That today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of transformation into new life. That is you What I'm encouraging you to do in your own words in your own way talk to God the Father who sent the Son to secure your salvation talk to Him and tell Him Father I believe that in love you sent your Son for me that your son came and that he paid the penalty for my sin. I recognize that I am a sinner and that I have been fighting against you. I've been living in rebellion. I haven't been living for you as my Lord and Savior. And I confess that and I am coming to Jesus to be my Savior not because I deserve it, but because of your grace and your love. And I believe, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you did die and paid the price for sin. And that you're alive just like Saul discovered that day, that you defeated the grave and you rose again. And now you are carrying out your work of salvation so I'm asking you to save 
even me today. Save even me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision, you need to tell somebody. You need to tell somebody. If you want to be prayed for, you come to one of these altars and one of our elders, pastors here will pray for you. But let me just leave you with the truth. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. All shall be saved.